There is a massive regenerative revolution growing and myceliating all over the world right now, and we're going to explore it together. After all, we humans, we're pretty brilliant species, and we totally can play positive roles on the planet that help the planet heal and help each other heal. Together, we're embarking on an exploration of this movement through interviews with a diverse array of brilliant human beings leading the way towards this drastic, ecologically and socially positive lifestyle and systems change that is needed to turn our modern society around. I'm your host, Jennings Ingram. Hi, everyone. We're here today with Amanda Michelle, otherwise known as Activated Living on social media. Thank you so much for being with us, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you. Oh my gosh, I'm happy to have you. Would you mind giving us an intro of just like who you are and your perspectives that you're bringing and um, your work in the world? Yeah. So my name is Amanda Michelle. Um, Just first want to, again, say thank you for having me here. Um, I am a direct descendant of the Guarani Nation in Paraguay. That's where I originally come from. And uh, currently right now, I'm a humble guest on the Agua Caliente Reservation. Here we call it Palm Springs. And um, the work that I do is I I tell people that I'm kind of growing into it. I work a lot with Indigenous rights and with Indigenous activism lately. I I do a lot of one-on-one work with folks that are interested in reconnecting with ancestry. So that doesn't necessarily just have to be indigenous, native, or first nation, but that just tends to be uh, the people that I am attracting lately. And um, yeah, I I just share a lot of my perspectives. I, I use different multimedia ways. I podcast, video, art, writing, all the things, Um, just sharing a different perspective, kind of bridging the worlds of our Western world with Indigenous uh, thought and perspective. Yeah, one thing that really drew me into your work and like wanting to have this conversation with you was this Instagram post that you made, which was Earth is dying is a colonial construct. And I was like, wow, that is (laughs) it's I was wondering, would you mind just unpacking that a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, there's so many layers in that like one sentence, but <laughs> we hear that a lot, right? Not even in just like act- like earth justice and activism worlds, but just if you are a human being with a pulse, you can, and eyes to see, we see that there's a lot of climate destruction. That's just a natural progression of what's happening. And usually in this conversation, we hear people saying that like mother earth is dying, you know, Gaia Pachamama is, you know, losing her essence. And my response to that is just that thought, that idea is a very colonial construct. Um, To break it down, you know, a colonial construct, that's pretty much just like this theory or conception that's going to be wrapped within colonial ideals. Um, One of the biggest things that we can see that separates uh, Native, Indigenous, and First Nation thought and ontology or way of being is that we are all connected in some capacity. 
colonialism tends to focus on the individual and it separates um, oneself from the natural world. And so um, with this colonial idea, it's it's centering the human and humanism as we are the only species that is in the superior hierarchy. And because we might be superior than other plants, other animals, and we're not considering that earth is its living being and that she's been here before we have. And also in that post, I go on to say that once we eventually go through our own human extinction, because that is a thing that happens, that's a natural progression that will happen, the earth will still be here. The fungi is still going to populate. The rivers might dry up, but we will still have land and we will still have hopefully a gravitational force that helps keep whatever is planted and living on this earth grounded. Um, and so for me, hearing something like the earth is dying, it's like this is just a response to how we have been abusing the earth for not just generations, but centuries. Um, and so that's kind of my perspective um, when I when I hear that type of rhetoric. Yeah. Something that I loved about the way you wrote about that was like as humans yeah we tend to totally center ourselves as as if we're the center of the universe and and it's just not that way like where if you I was even looking up at the stars the other night thinking like wow we are these these little beings and we're running around thinking that we're in charge but we just are not <laughs> like we run this but we don't <laughs> I know as if we're not made of stardust, as if we're not made of the things that make up the planet. It's wild. Um, yeah. And, and even within ourselves, we have our own ecology. That's, you know, our microbiome is its own living essence. You know, we have universes inside of us. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Vandana Shiva's philosophy of earth democracy is one earth family where she's mm -hmm talks about like there's no separation between nature and humans there's no hierarchies between species culture gender race faiths even and I guess you know I'm sort of new and I mean in a way I've been in this inquiry for like six years but the intersections of these different um, schools of thought and the way that the, you know, your perspective, this native indigenous first nation perspective and the way that it intersects with, I guess, this movement that we're all kind of being called to participate in right now, right? Like to mm -hmm. basically do better for the planet. And so I'm just really happy that we can explore that some together. <laughs> I love that you brought up Bandana Shiva's quote, because this is a beautiful example of what it means when I say that, and I talk about this a lot, how indigenous perspectives are very vast. They're very complex. We have 
so many different, we, we actually don't use in many cultures, in my culture, in the Guarani culture, we don't use the word universe. We actually have a system that we understand in our cosmology as a pluriverse, meaning that there's multiple universes that happen and coexist um, that doesn't pass, present, future. It's all happening coexistingly. And many indigenous uh, cultures have similar perspectives but they never contradict one another. And a lot of indigenous native and first nation cosmologies support one another in that way. And so when I hear, and I am a huge fan of Vandana Shiva also, she's just such, she's been a hero of mine for almost two decades now. But, um, you know, hearing that quote, it's just a great, beautiful reminder and a great example of what it means, how indigenous perspectives they might be vastly different, but they do support one another. And this idea of we are not separate from nature, we are a part of it. I'm, you know, I'm not an anthropologist within indigenous studies, but from all of my indigenous relatives that I've been connected with my entire life, that seems to be a very big reoccurring theme that I hear when we sit and share about our cosmo cosmovisions. Mm. Wow. When I think about these, these perspectives, um, what little I know, and then the kind of like task at hand that we have on the planet right now of hopefully repairing our, our right relationship with the earth and approaching that something that I see is, you know, a lot of people really champion like permaculture, for example, or these other Mm -hmm. however they're labeled you know these kinds of like frameworks for hopefully doing better and I think like for me at least I've learned definitely um, helpful things from permaculture but also we were talking uh, earlier about how that framework is actually sort of problematic so I was wondering yeah what you thought about that yeah of course I you know and I I still sit with trying to find the right word in English that, you know, I feel like problematic already creates like separatism. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And that's not where I'm trying to go with it. Um, so maybe one day I'll find <laughs> the right word for it. But, you know, I've, I've also just to preface, I've been in these, these spaces uh, from my probably 20 to 27, I was heavily in um, different permaculture systems and working in different communities, living in Kauai, uh, Nicaragua, learning as much as I can about land sovereignty, land revitalization, soil revitalization. Um, and I was at one point like permaculture is the answer, you know? Um, but, you know, it, 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 creates a little bit of a problem because within at least my studies of this community and learning, there's, there's this idea of like these ancient civilizations, these ancient cultures 
knew how to live close to the land and how to live in reciprocity and within all of these different things. And we're going to create this new system now that takes from Native, Indigenous, or First Nation cultures. And there's this narrative in, in the permaculture community and, and in just the world in general that these are lost practices. And that right there is completely uh, wrong because they're still active. They're still alive. You know, to say that these uh, systems or these ancient ways of cultivating and growing food on the land is an ancient lost art is also then saying that the indigenous people who held these practices are gone and we're still here. We're still actively using those types of uh, ways Um in terms of how we connect with the land, how we farm, how we plant and harvest. Um, and so that's, I hope that you can kind of like see where I find like the word problematic isn't the mm -hmm. right word, but it does create this kind of unspoken narrative. Like we're using the old ancient ways and creating something new. And then this kind of is, is erasing the native, the indigenous and first nation practices, it would be completely different if it was like, this is a practice that we are honoring from the Ohlone people, or this is a practice that we're doing moon cycling seeding from the Guarani nation. And we're still keeping those ancient cultures alive. But when we erase all of that and say, let's take from the old and create something new, you don't have an opportunity then to understand and learn from the native people that are original peoples of the land. Yeah. And like where that knowledge even originally came from. Exactly. And, you know, for, for many indigenous cultures, you know, we, as much as we have a very diverse knowledge of plant systems and how certain plants can be medicine and healing, for example, it might sound a little abstract for a lot of people, but we don't look to that as like a pharmacological or pathological way for healing. Our voice is actually what has continued throughout millennia we many of us don't have written languages it's all been passed down orally and so there's a lot of and and i think i probably am speaking to the choir here with like the people that listen to your podcast we understand that words have vibrations that they're frequencies and a lot of these ancient practices these names these um, ways of being hold a lot of ancient vibrational medicine and if we can't honor that with our word today and we're just saying oh this is an ancient practice from the native americans it, it just erases so much when we are trying as Native, Indigenous, and First Nation people to keep our culture alive. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, I was reflecting on this just total, not total, but near total. Um, I was, I was thinking about this earlier and having like kind of an emotional process because I was like, wow, you know, throughout my whole life um you know i'm of european ancestry and i've lived on colonized land 
that's like barely mentioned you know it's it's like (laughs) native americans lived here at some point but that's like all that gets mentioned and you know definitely no specifics about like how the land would like to be cared for how the how um indigenous people would have cared for the land and any specifics and I was just feeling so like semi-horrified and also sad it's like god I've lived on colonized land my whole life and we've barely spoken about it and And that's that, that that but that also so you're like mentioning a lot of really beautiful things because that's the point of reckon recognizing that you know, there's this whole other world that's been existing that you didn't have the knowledge of before. And a lot of times with people that do anti-racist work, when they do decolonizing work, both um, people of European ancestry and people of color and indigenous folks, there there comes a point when you you kind of get hit and your mind is like, blasted open of just like holy shit like I've been actually an active participant of something that's probably not that great and then because we're human we feel pretty bad there's a lot of guilt there there's my maybe some shame or just kind of like what do I do now like where do I go from there and then also like talking about how we've lived on colonized land and it's not spoken about as much That's actually the point. That's the point of colonization is to erase a lot of the um, ancient ways and uh, not just our ways of being, but also the history. Um, And and this isn't just a conversation for us here on Turtle Island within European ancestry. We can say the same thing about India. We can say the same thing about where we call Australia and New Zealand. It's it's the the same thing is that the point of colonization is for us to forget that there actually were original peoples of the land that actually had its own systems. And in order for us to create something new, the best way forward, unfortunately, included maybe some genocide. It included maybe some, you know, pretty gnarly practices to eradicate people from the land, as well as clearing the land um, in order to create a quote unquote civilized nation. Um, So, you know, it's, it's a beautiful recognition point and also like you're recognizing also this is the point of colonization. Mm. Yeah. I remember learning um, about just, yeah, that, that general perspective of like people from Europe came to yeah Turtle Island and America now and saw what they thought were these undisturbed landscapes, right? It's just thriving. There's, you know, these people who live here who, just happen to live here but there's not there must not be any type of relationship between these people and the land that's like clearly thriving and the wildlife that's doing so well and the river's all clean and then come to realize um no this land was actually being super intelligently managed by people who had studied it for such a long time and practiced it for such a long time and and now we're at this point where we're like really needing to return to consciously and intelligently like 
managing our relationship with the land and but we've <laughs> there's been so much um i'm not sure what the word is eradication maybe of this knowledge that we desperately need and now it's being weirdly repackaged and it's just like oh man <laughs> I know it's one of those things where it's just like, wait, I thought this was good. Like what, what? And then like, you, and that's the thing too, is with this work of decolonizing is that it's going to start seeping in to all aspects of your life. And maybe you're not consciously aware that you're actually working in decolonial practices or even mindsets. But once you start seeing one thing, it's going to seep into all other aspects of your life. And also just to speak about, you know, when colonizers first made contact to a lot of uh, original peoples, they also not necessarily not having the, the mindset of even what is a relationship to the land. They just considered it to be inhabitable. They were so far removed from their own ancestry and what they considered civilization to be is that when they get to a place like Brazil or when they get to a place like Australia or New Zealand, for the Dutch, for example, and they see these really lush, beautiful spaces, to them, that wasn't considered even, oh, there must be a relation here. It was just considered unhabitable. And then that leaves room for clearing of the land and unfortunately clearing of the people as well. I have a million questions about this whole um, scenario not that you or anybody is like capable of answering all of them, but I guess just for us to think about going forward in your perspective, what are, what are things that we can do or ways that we can shift our, our actions and our mindsets to honor original peoples of where we live and also honor the work better without, yeah, erasing or dogmatically clinging onto permaculture or things like that. I really like that you use that word dogmatic because um, I think that'll, and not just within the permaculture field, I see this in spirituality. I see this in plant medicine work, so many different spaces is that, and again, this is a symptom of colonization is we tend to identify with our ideologies more than how does this practice make me feel, for example, or how am I contributing as one for the whole in, in my maybe spiritual work or medicine work. It's very centralized, very individualized right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I, I always say to him, like, I don't have the answers. And what I say today, mm -hmm. I might totally disagree with when I'll listen to this podcast in three years and be like, oh, what was I thinking? But, <laughs> you know, with the information that I have today and with what I've learned and how I've grown in these spaces is I think the, and what I observe a lot also is I think we need to start with our minds. And, and that's why I am very vocal also about these plant medicine movements because mm -hmm. we're utilizing this 
as almost a pathological way of healing versus I need to reforest my mind. I need to decolonize my mind. I need to change my way of thinking a little bit maybe before I actually get into the practices of plant medicine or before I get into diving deep into understanding a little bit more of native or indigenous gardening practices or things of that nature. And it's going to look different for everybody. You know, it's going to be, you know, everyone's medicine. We all, I believe we all have medicine to share. And I think that where we started from with in the conversation of colonization is that I always think that Descartes was kind of the, the light switch with I think, therefore I am, that changed the way a lot of people viewed the world and how it affected the mindset and encouraged a lot of people then within that philosophy to think more centralized than collectively. And because they were so far removed from their ancestry, there wasn't a practice, a community, a way of being or ontology that was supporting the idea of collectivism or supporting the idea that we are all one instead of being separate from the whole. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that we got here because of how we are thinking and how we view the world. And instead of And it's also a very, um, you know, it supports capitalism and colonialism when we're like, what is it that we have to do to change this? It's like, we don't maybe need to do anything first, but maybe like this, start listening and having different conversations, um, having the uh, empathy and capacity to give the mic to native indigenous first nation people that might have a different perspective um, that we have carried with us for not just generations, but millennia. You know, these are ancient practices that even if we live in urban environments, you know, just because I don't have my headdress on doesn't make me less indigenous because I don't have my my pintura, my face paint on for ceremonia doesn't make me less indigenous. And I still carry the wisdoms that my ancestors have carried. And when we can create spaces like podcasts or spiritual spaces or maybe in plant medicine circles, maybe we change the way of how we operate these types of um, very, I I believe they're very decontextualized um, from how we do it in our native and indigenous ways and actually honoring the lands where the medicine comes from first, honoring the lands of where we're consuming those medicines, honoring those spirits beyond just, again, you know, talking about, oh, we're connecting with mama ayahuasca or pachamama or mama gaia it's like no like let's actually go a little bit deeper and we can't get there if we don't honor native and indigenous and first nation voices and perspectives you know it's going to be very challenging i create this podcast in the spirit of the gift modeled after the resource sharing and abundance we see throughout nature 
I believe that monetary reasons should never stand in the way between anyone and the empowerment to make a positive change and to be inspired. If you want to support the broadcasting of the messages from these different leaders all across the movement, you can do so for as little as $5 a month via our Patreon, which is linked below. So I think for me right now, I believe that if we can just open our minds to these different perspectives, we might not agree with them. We might uh, be a little bit triggered too because it's a completely new way of being and thinking and seeing. And also it might bring some people too to a a space of neutrality um, instead of being so focused on maybe some dogmatic ideologies. Mm. I love that phrase you used, reforest our minds. I've never heard anybody use that. I love that. I can't take credit for that. Um, There's this amazing indigenous activist um, woman in Brazil. Um, Her name is Sonia. Um, I I don't want to mispronounce the tribe that she's from. So I'm going to just text it to you. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put it in the show. Um, She's actually running for Congress in, in Brazil as an indigenous woman. She's she's amazing I consider her to be like the Brazilian Vandana Shiva to be perfectly honest wow well she's powerful um there's many other and there's a huge uh, movement happening right now with a lot of indigenous relatives that are seeking places in congress for the Brazilian government she's just one of them but that's one of her uh phrases that she uses a lot when she talks about um indigenous rights and for us to step outside of our colonial thinking and to reforest our minds Mm. yeah um I wanted to bring it back around to the plant medicine element one thing. Okay. So actually initially on Instagram, the first thing that I saw was a comment. So there was an article, I won't say where the article is from, but <laughs> I, know, I know what you're talking about now, <laughs> but, um, and they were sort of championing this experimental use of ayahuasca with refugees. And yes. <clears throat> you and I, have both sat with ayahuasca. Obviously I don't have anywhere near the perspective or lineage that you do with it. But when I read that, I thought, Oh my God, this, I don't know about this. This sounds like not maybe appropriate or ethical. And there's like something inside you that was just like, "Mm, I don't know. I was just like, no, like ayahuasca is, is, I can't, I mean, I'm not qualified. It's just, I just don't think that that's maybe what needs to happen. And then you were there in the comments, like echoing so many of these things that I was thinking of. So I was curious to just, yeah, hear a bit more of your perspectives on we're in this huge moment of everyone wanting to experiment with psychedelics, um, open our minds, our consciousness. You see a lot of these like spiritual entrepreneurs being like, oh yeah, take ayahuasca and it'll upgrade your consciousness and yada, yada. And there's obviously like many ways that maybe the medicines aren't being properly honored, the lineages, like, and I was just curious to please, yeah, share your perspective with us on that. I mean, we could have a whole series on this. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should. I'd be down. I'm so down. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So 
just to speak about about that that article and just the the idea of should refugees be given ayahuasca for healing um i think that was kind of the main point that this article was trying to get at that there's trauma um for me i for being somebody who i'm working on decolonial practice practices with trauma work um and so the minute I saw that article, I was just like, they're in active trauma. This isn't something that like you're a, a vet and you're reminiscing about 40 years ago when you were in combat, like you're in active crisis right now. So that alone, in my opinion, whatever that's worth, I don't think that taking any type of entheogenic is going to support your healing when you're in active crisis and when you're in active trauma, um, it I'm sure everybody, we all have our own individual experiences, but when it comes to traditionally how we use this medicine, this medicine is taken by our bajes and we don't even use the word shaman. I, I think that that's actually, uh, this word is part of linguistic imperialism and it also takes away from our indigenous native and first nation medicine teachers but they're the ones that actually take the medicine and they have their experiences they connect with and, the, and every tribe's different you know there's over 500 different tribes in south america which a lot of people don't know so the ones that do utilize yage is what we call or ayahuasca um you know will do it differently but typically this is a decontextualized way a very new way um, from the 70s and 80s, in fact, that's how new it is, of inviting people either um, into the lands of where this medicine comes from or the medicine itself taking a pilgrimage to where the sitter is at. And everybody that is, uh, you know, in a collective experience taking it with their individualized intentions. And so that's another thing that's hasn't been done, we are actually kind of the guinea pigs of doing it this way. This is very decontextualized than how many of us in the Amazon utilize this medicine. So to go back to refugees, you know, you're in active crisis. There's so many things that, you know, that article didn't mention that I think are very important questions to ask. And I think that this actually echoes the narrative and the rhetoric that we hear a lot right now, it's kind of been memefied. Like Trump, Donald Trump would be so much better if he took ayahuasca. Putin would be such a better person if he had done ayahuasca. Everybody can heal with ayahuasca. And by utilizing this medicine in that way, we're looking at it in a pathological way, which again is also a new system, a couple hundred years. In the West, I feel like I need healing. I might be traumatized. I might feel stuck in my life. I might also on the other end of the spectrum, there are people that are just straight up psychonauts that just want to keep pushing their ego death boundaries. Again, centrism and like, you know, humanism and centering yourself. Nothing wrong with that. But again, that's just how it's very decontextualized of how we do it in the Amazon. 
And so these, there's, there's so many anomalies and so many things that we haven't done before that we're just championing right now saying that ayahuasca is the answer. I don't see this as any different than the huge craze during Carlos Castaneda in the 60s and the 70s with equity or peyote. And now we can see 30 years later, 40 years later, the original people who are still very active today, very active with their medicine ceremonies, both native and indigenous folks, can't do their pilgrimages because it was over harvested in the 70s and also in the 80s. And so I see this also as the beginning stages of a very dangerous place for Amazonian medicine. And that's not just ayahuasca, that's with the combo, that's with the hape, that's with the sanaga. And um, when we utilize it like medicine in our medicine cabinet, and because it's so heavily accessible and because there's such a demand for it, well, now the spirit of this medicine is being enmeshed with the spirit of capitalism. It's being enmeshed with the spirit of supremacy and it's, you know, taking over in a very big way. So again, when I, I, I don't want to say that it's problematic, but I will say that it's definitely decontextualized and um, it's, it can be very dangerous. You know, I, I sit with people and again, I wasn't expecting to do this kind of work. It kind of, I'm growing into it. I'm very green, but I sit with people that come back from these medicine journeys that maybe they weren't done in the right relation with the land. Maybe these were done with folks that weren't ready to serve medicine. And unfortunately, some people are leaving these circles a lot more harmed than healed. And within our contemporary spiritualism in the West, there's also this conversation of like, well, maybe they needed to be broken so that they can be healed. Maybe they needed to have that really traumatic experience and it's opening themselves up. I hear all the time from the people that I sit with where they try to talk to the medicine people or the circles of the medicine circles of the people hosting these medicine journeys. And all they keep hearing is like, oh, well, it's just your shadow. You just maybe need to sit with more medicine or maybe you need to just sit with your shadow more. And it's a complete bypass. It's not validating that person's experience. And that's not how we do it when we in the Amazon are given the, the path to walk with this medicine, you know? So yeah, there's, there, there's, I know I went on so many different points, but no, there's, so there's interesting. definitely a lot, a lot there for me. And I'm, I'm trying to come to a space cause I was really angry about, I still am, but mm -hmm. me and a lot of my indigenous relatives, I can't tell you how many WhatsApp conversations I have with my relatives back in Peru and Brazil and in South America, where we're all still really angry and it's hard for us when we want to be in platforms and spaces like this to talk about it and, you know, come from a space of honoring the heart of the, the medicine versus just being angry of like, we're actively witnessing the destruction of our Amazon and our relatives. And you're just talking about how ayahuasca is going to heal the planet. Like that's not... That's not a, that's not reality. That's not the reality that indigenous people live in right now, unfortunately, in the Amazon. Yeah.
yeah, it's, I'm thinking about it like, you know, there's people coming, like, say, myself from um, American culture where there's many s- systemic problems that are resulting in a lot of mental illness difficulty on all levels of life. And we're also in this culture where, you know, okay, you're having a hard time. We're going to prescribe you Prozac or something like that. So it's kind of, it's not, doesn't make it any better, but I could understand why we're coming from a culture where you can buy or procure like a pill or quote unquote, a solution for your difficulties, or that's the way that um, we're kind of conditioned to think in American culture that then trying to go and apply that to, okay, well, I am depressed. I'm going to go and do this psychedelic medicine. It's like bringing in a completely different mental framework from the culture and mental framework from which the use of these medicines even arose. It's kind of (laughs) mind-blowing in a way, but it's also it's understandable even though it's fucked up. Yeah, you know, I love that you you mentioned just the mental frameworks of two sides of that coin, right? And I think that that's where I was trying to get to with this topic of plant medicine, for example, because, and, and it goes back to reforesting our minds or decolonizing our minds or shifting our perspective a little bit, or maybe just sitting with it and thinking like, wow, am I using utilizing my consumption of plant medicine, the same way somebody might be consuming certain pharmaceuticals to help ease pain. Again, nothing wrong with that. I'm not somebody who judges pharmaceuticals. Um, I know a lot of people need pharmaceuticals in order to survive. And I also am not in the camp of going 100% plant-based and taking plant medicine is going to be the cure for everything either. I'm somewhere on the spectrum in the middle trying to find like, you know, the articulate the words to share. And I, again, I think it just goes to, we need to sit and think about these things. We need to have, we need to have these conversations on platforms such as like a podcast, or even when we're in our medicine circles, if we have people that are in our contacts for our integration process, you know, to be curious. We don't need to have the answers. And that's also another symptom of colonization that we have to have the solution, right? We have the problem, so there must be the solution. And if I don't have the solution, then it's obsolete. And that's not the case. Like we need to find a way to get to the solution. And I believe that's having conversations, that's being curious, that's opening our heart, opening our mind to um, these just different ways of thinking. There's two things that I was thinking of. Um, The first thing was what you touched on and like the integration piece. And I guess I'm sort of inferring this, but I guess with the way that the usage of like ayahuasca evolved. It was within the context of community and um, relationships between people in that community where it's being used. Like you were mentioning, it's just the the leader or I forget the word you used. Who- oh, <laughs> so um, in my culture, we say baje. Mm-hmm. That's going to be like the, the spiritual leader of the community most folks would say shaman or something like that. 
And in many cultures, not all that use yaje or ayahuasca is that you come to your baje. Maybe you're having some issues in your marital life. Maybe you're having some mental symptoms. Maybe you can't sleep. Maybe, you know, you, you come with these, these ailments and you speak to your page, they will take the medicine, they'll receive um, their own intuitive knowing and connect with the plant spirits, connect with the ancestors. And also because again, this is so decontextualized of how it is now, you're part of this clan, you're part of this community. So the Baje knows your family ancestry as well. So they know where your family comes from, or maybe knows that there might be some active addiction in your family cycle. There might be some abuse or some page, you know, some patriarchal machismo that runs in the family line that you're needing to maybe dismantle. So they come back from their journey speaking to the, the person maybe a day or two later, and they'll share with what the spirits showed them and spoke to them. And there might be some herbal remedies. There might be some specific uh, practices to do that might sound so, you know, old school and abstract, like wait till the first rain and plant your feet, like put the mud on your feet and just sit while it rains and pours over you. But that would be the healing, you know, um, and, and instead of like, oh, just take more plant medicine. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> In 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 our culture, it's uh, the the page would be doing the medicine, and you would come um, to to get that guidance. Now, unfortunately, the way that our Eurocentric Western minds work, many people aren't going to go all the way to the Amazon to watch a shaman take plant medicine and wait in a hut and then wait to hear what he had to say about their, what they need to, you know, uh, do in order to either heal or to heal something. So that's where capitalism comes through. And it's like, okay, we need to find a way where we can support ourselves as a community equally. Also, how are we bringing as many people in that we can and they happen most of the time being strangers Mm -hmm. again there's nothing wrong with that it's just not how we do it in many of our ancient practices that we've been doing it that way for 300 500 a thousand some places even five and ten thousand years so again we're we're like the guinea pigs with this way of uh doing medicine wow that's so um it's just so different from how you know I've ever heard it talked about the way you describe that is makes so much more sense and knowing the cultural context of it is like kind of gives it a I don't know I'm seeing like a web like a place to live in the ecology of a community and it reminds me having never heard that it just reminds me of this other erasure that I and I think a lot of people have experienced where it's like these things just aren't brought into our consciousness or talked about and I was thinking of you know I've done ayahuasca several times and with this group out here that does it and there isn't you know first of all you're doing it and there isn't much like community integration or anything and it was really terrifying some of it like 
it's hard to process. Like, I don't think I want to do it again. I'm good. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is that you're never, when you're in the community in the Amazon, you're never disconnected from your teacher. Mm. Even today, I'm working with uh, somebody of the Tupi Guarani lineage. So that's the Guarani folks in the north from Paraguay in uh, the west end of the Amazon in Brazil. And he gives me a hundred percent access all the time. If it's 3 a.m. his time and I'm having a bad dream and I need to have somebody there to support me to untangle it, he's there. He's not going to charge me an extra thousand dollars for a one-on-one intensive. He's there. And it's the same community aspect where it's like you are supported throughout your entire journey. Now, when we look at how ayahuasca has left the Amazon and has pilgrim has gone through a pilgrimage, first through the urban cities of Brazil, as well as Peru, and also it's important, and I have a responsibility to mention that each tribe will do their ceremonies differently. We all have our own different names for our gods. We all have our own different ways of communicating and singing our ikaros with our plants. However, again, they don't contradict, they support, but they're all different. Um, So I am speaking to the Guarani aspect, which we were actually gifted ayahuasca um, from a a tribe. I can't remember exactly which tribe gifted it to us, but it was a couple hundred years ago. So in the timeline of plant medicine being used, we're actually pretty new with using uh, Yage as well. But to get back to what I was saying, integration, I think anybody who has even taken a little bit of time to research psychedelics understands that integration is a huge important process and component when we're taking entheogenic medicine and it's opening our consciousness and our bodies and our minds and again, our relation to plants. Mm -hmm. And so then we shoot up out of our bodies, we go into the ethers and then we come back down and we're with a ton of strangers sometimes that equally had a very profound experience as well. That spirit of connection is there. And then in some cases, if it's one of the retreats that they'll do in, in the Amazon, and I've seen this also when you have like two or three day uh, experiences in urban cities out here, you know, the morning comes up, you start sitting with your with your uh, new family you express the things that came up for you. Maybe there might be some things that have been quote unquote downloaded that people want to share with the community. And then you pack up and you go home. And then that, that, that connection is severed. And then many times with what we in academia call neo-shamans, which is the people who are administrating medicine that don't come from a direct lineage of uh, these these medicine keepers is that they're going to try to profit off of your experience again with if you want to go deeper, we can have a one-on-one consultation and it's going to be X amount of money. Or I'm going to be traveling to this place next and you can come and, you know, reserve your spot for the next ayahuasca retreat. Mm -hmm. And so it, 
again, it gets entangled with capitalism and we're not focusing truly on community um, and also commu- not just community itself, but community growth. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that ties right back in, I think, to the whole reforesting our minds concept, this whole re-acknowledging ourselves as part of this living web, right? And like de- decolonizing, I guess, our our thought from our individual experience and our individual self to, no, I'm part of a web and it's my responsibility to be in reciprocal ethical relationship with this web. And I guess it seems like that extends to all parts of our life, you know, with the way we relate to the natural world, other people, the histories, cultures, indigenous perspectives, as well as how we approach things like plant medicine. A hundred percent. And I love that you keep using this image of a web. I actually... So my teacher, his name is Lua of the Tupi Guarani Nation, and he brought up, interestingly enough, this concept of the ancestral web. And when we want to honor the ancient ways, we have to have the ancestors in the middle of this web. Because when we like look at how a spider is going to be making his web, he starts from the inside out. And when we don't have a strong foundation in the middle, you can't keep making this web bigger and bigger. It's going to lose its support system. And hearing you express all of these things with the web too, I just think of how necessary it is. This is a great living example of how we reforest our minds. We're looking to nature right now of how does nature support this new possible way of thinking or communicating or existing or just being. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to share that really quick because the web has been very uh, active and loud in my conversations recently this week. That's wild because for the past couple of years when I've been meditating, I see that it's like going to sound a little out there, but I see this like web. It's like this green web, like sort of (laughs) spreading out over the planet. So And you're so deep with your work with like the land and revitalizing the land. And I think that's so beautiful. Wow. So cool to know that, um, that that's like part of your conversations too. Thank you. You're tapping into something. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your perspective and wisdom with us. And I feel like we could literally talk all day. (laughs) Me too. Like you're so easy to talk to. And also I, when, when you did reach out, I was like, I'm going to binge this podcast and you (laughs) have such a lovely voice and it's just so such beautiful heart-centered conversation. So truly thank you for just inviting me and I would love to continue conversations with you. Maybe have you on my podcast next. Yeah. Or maybe back and who forth. knows? <laughs> we, could do a, we could do a series, like however it goes. I'm so but down for a series. <laughs> for people who are interested in connecting further with you and your work and your offerings, where can they find you and what are, what are ways that people can connect with you? So 
I think the best way is um, if you're interested in having a deeper conversation, um, you can always email me at hello at activatedliving.us. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm trying to figure out TikTok. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, so I, you can find me on Activated Living on Instagram and on my link tree. That's where I usually have most of my offerings. Um, currently, I have a grassroots fundraiser for the Guarani Kayowa people. Um, unfortunately, they've been experiencing a very dramatic massacre and genocide for their people in Brazil. Um, what they call the community is called the Tecoa. So in their Tecoa, it's been very um, targeted. And so I'm personally sending money out to people that are on the front lines, families that have lost warriors to the militarized community. Uh, farmers and cartels. And so I'm continually having a fundraiser up there if people want to donate that way. Also, I offer one-on-one -on -one consultations, like I mentioned, with folks that might be preparing to go on a plant medicine journey, and they want to connect with an Indigenous relative and, you know, have some conversations as well as support for post-ceremonial um, integration. I have that on my link tree as well. And I'm currently, as I mentioned, I'm working with a very amazing leader of the Tupi Guarani people. And so we're trying to, we're all meditating together to create a really beautiful offering so that he can have a platform where we can teach some Guarani uh, cosmovisions, um, our philosophies on plant medicine, moon cycles, moon goddesses, um, just a lot of our of our cultural things that we want to share to folks so that we can continue keeping and preserving our culture um, alive. So probably near the end of this year, we'll hopefully have like the first workshop ready so we can share to the collective for that. Wow, that's exciting. Oh my gosh, I'm definitely interested in that. And yeah, this month we're donating all of our Patreon money and it's some of my personal money as well to you guys as fundraiser. So, Thank you so much. That's so uh, like, I can't even like word, there's no words. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to. And I encourage listeners to also donate. It's really important that we all support each other in this global moment, however we can. Yeah. And like our money, like a lot of times we don't, we don't realize it, but our, our American and Western money goes so long in the Amazon, you know? So even if somebody is within a financial restriction and they can only even donate $1, that goes so far. So I really, truly appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and I'm excited to yeah, potentially continue the conversation down the road and just really appreciate all you share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Regenerative Revolution podcast. We have all the tools we need to become educated and activated into positively co-creating with the life force of the earth. This podcast is here to help the transition along and help us all get inspired, connect, and act. Please remember to hit subscribe, rate us five stars, and even leave us a nice review. It really helps the show rise in the rankings and helps this message get out to more and more people. Who do you want to hear interviewed next? 
It's important to me that this is a co-created exploration and I would love everyone's suggestions for the next episode. You can send those suggestions to me via the Instagram for the show at Regenerative Revolution Podcast, or you can send them to my email, JenningsIngram at gmail.com. Thank you so much for co-creating this adventure with me, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for being an essential part of the regenerative revolution. See you in the next episode.